Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Holy Spirit, we invite you and Heavenly Father, we ask for you you to be uh, at work as we have these next few minutes together. Lord, um, I pray you do a good work in people's hearts, in their minds, in their lives. Uh, Lord, and also I pray for those who are hanging around and those who are coming in for overflow. I pray for a work of your spirit tonight. Lord, we bring faith to this moment and that and say, God, have your way in us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into it. I don't know about you. I've been married 20 years. I've watched watched many, many romantic comedies, many, many romantic dramas over 20 years of marriage. And to be honest with you, um, many of them were better than I'd expected they would be. Yeah, true story. Matthew McConaughey inspires me to be a better man. They, they really are. Even Pride and Prejudice. Yep. Some of you are judging me, but until you fall in love, don't judge me too harshly. But there is this common kind of plot that happens in romantic comedies. I don't know if we've got the first image of all the couples, but, and, and the plot is, there you go, all these scenes are from romantic comedies made in New York City. It's like every romantic event that's ever happened, happened on the streets of New York City. Here's the next image. Look at that place. Oh, what a glorious city. But here's the thing. Because I've watched so many romantic comedies and so many romantic dramas, they have this common plot. They're often set in New York City and and the opening scene might go something like this. You know, really strong, independent woman standing on the streets, the busy streets of New York City. And as she stands there and realises that for the first time in her life, she might need love, not just be strong. She's there all alone, standing in the midst of the vast crowd of people coming and going, toing and froing in the streets of New York City. She's been bumped by strangers who aimlessly walk past her, aimlessly past her. She's a nameless face in a vast crowd. No one knows who she is. And suddenly she feels all alone, all at sea, lost in the vastness of what is New York City. As she stands there and hails that yellow cab, it comes to a stop. Someone pushes by her. They get the cab in her place. She stands with a designer handbag by her side, her shoulders drop, and the opening credits and music kick in. Welcome to life in the jungle that is New York City. Now, that scene, one way or another, has played out about a thousand times in about a thousand different romantic comedies and dramas. But sometimes life is a bit of a jungle. Your life and mine, it's, it's a little bit chaotic. It's very very stressful at times. It's, it's hard work. There's, there's a lot going on around us. There's a lot going on in us. There's a lot coming at us in different seasons of life, depending what is going on. And so today in this really what is the, uh, it's, it's like the, um, when you finished a movie series and you realize that there were enough people to come to the next movie. And so they add one on. This is that message. So we finished a series called Rewild rewilding and untamed faith and I just want to add one more session to it today to that you and I would live untamed and thriving in the jungle how do you do that 
because what, what we don't want to see happen is that you and I thrive until chaos breaks out and chaos will break out. You only need to have two children under the age of three with nothing else going on in your life for chaos to break out. And chaos breaks out in our lives. So how do you thrive in the jungle and live an untamed life? We're going to look at that today because I think that, you know, absolutely life can overwhelm us, but God's plan is that we would thrive in the midst of it. So in terms of untamed, I, I, I think I put it to you this way the other week. Untamed, I think of untamed as up for where God is leading and into what God is doing. That's what I would call an untamed faith. God's leading somewhere, I'm, that's where I'm, I'm headed as well. God's up to something, that's what I'm up to as well. That's a, an untamed faith, an untamed life. And I would call a tamed life a won't quite go there life. There's where God is leading, there's what God is doing, that is untamed. And then there's tamed, which is simply not prepared to quite go there. And that's the difference. And so I want to take you to a group of people who were absolutely had rewilded their faith and were in the midst of an untamed life. But with that going on, they hit, you know, the jungle, as it were, and chaos is breaking out. And I want us to look at what they did because they go to the brink and on the brink, they're about to choose in the scene where we pick up, they're about to choose whether from this moment on, they're going to not quite go there and live the tamed life or whether they are going to go where God is leading and be up for what God is doing and lead an untamed life. And they're right in the thick of it, in the middle of the jungle, and they're either going to drop their handbag and their shoulders to their side, or they're going to rally their hearts and step into what God is doing next. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 23, say this. When Sanballat, so they're rebuilding the wall, they're rebuilding the wall of the city, which was a protection for the people. When Sanballat heard that we were, let me read it from here. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly irritated and he mocked the Jews. So just pause for a minute. Not everybody is going to be on board. Sometimes people have an agenda. And he had an agenda, his own. Um, he spoke before his relatives and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? When you see Jews, we'll just put God's people. What are these feeble, what are the feeble gods, what are the feeble, how am I going to say that? People of God doing. What are they doing? I'm not pausing for effect. I've lost my place. And they fortify, and they, are they fortifying themselves? Will they make sacrifices? Can they complete this in a day? Can they revive the burned up stones out of the rubble heaps? He's asking all these questions to which he's saying the answer is no. And obviously the answer was yes, yes, and yes. Of course they can. God's with them. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, even what they are rebuilding, if even a fox climbed it, that would break down their stone wall. I, you know, I have a physical reaction when I hear Tobiah. It's like, mate, you're a bully. You're not even brave enough to make the claim. You're the coward who weighed up the room and went, yeah, I'm with Sand Ballot. Yeah, they're losers. He just makes me cranky. Anyway, I just got that off my chest. Listen to what Nehemiah does. He says, Hear, O God, that we are despised. Turn their approach back upon their own head and give them a spoil 
in a land of captivity. No grace much going on there. No longer cover their iniquity, nor blot out their sin, which is before you, since they have made insults against the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it was solidified up to half of its height, and the people had a passion for the work. Love that. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabians, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard how the restoration of Jerusalem's walls were progressing and how the breaches had begun to be sealed, it made them extremely furious. Isn't it funny how people get cranky about good things going on that look after people and protect the city? So they also conspired together to fight against Jerusalem in order to cause it chaos. Funny. Nevertheless, we prayed to our God and because of them we set up a watch for them day and night. Judah had said the strength of the burden Bearers is failing through, though there, though there is much rubble, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our adversaries said, they will neither know not, neither know not see. What on earth am I doing? I don't normally read from this version. Let me find a version that I do read from. Therefore, I stationed some people. I looked over things. Uh, therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, and then it goes on, and we won't go there. Untamed people who thrive in the jungle. I want to talk about that today. Here's some thoughts for you. I wonder what's next for you. Number one is, is they pray first. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 says, When I heard these things, when he heard about the state of the city, he said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In verse 11, he prays again in chapter 2, chapter 4, and through the, through the book, there are moments of prayer. And I think, you know, if I'm going to live an untamed life, in the midst of the jungle, if I'm going to thrive in the midst of it all, certainly prayer, uh, which Bron often says, hey, we make prayer our first thing, not our last thing. And that's what Nehemiah did. He just started with prayer, prayer and fasting, actually. Before he went into this great work, he said, man, I'm just going to set aside some time. I'm going to pray and fast. He was so moved in his heart that he wanted to move the hand of God. And I reckon that definitely an untamed faith that thrives is one that would be moved in our heart around things that matter most, and would say, oh, I want to pray. I want to move God's hand as well. I want God. Now, God was already ahead of him. It was God who actually stirred it up. But Nehemiah doesn't realize that yet. So he's trying to move the heart of God. But either way, he is moved and God moves. And the first thing he did was pray. Many of you know the passage in James 5 that says, the passionate prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I reckon prayer is a great measure of where tamed and untamed is up to in my life, personally. Like sometimes when I've just been in a tame state, my prayer life is, well, it's there, but it's so boring I bore myself. And I wonder if I've bored God with it. It's like, Darren, really? Is this all we're doing today? I'm not sure. But I don't want to live there. I want to live untamed. And he, he was certainly praying untamed prayers at this time. He's, he's praying, God, hey, God, I'm, I'm repentant. I'm repentant for all of us. 
God, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I, I know your promises and I know we haven't seen them, but I believe we can see them. And God, I know that there's been rubble for a hundred years, but I believe we can see a move of God. And God, here's what I love about his prayer. It's not that he points out all that's wrong and even owns it. And so when he gets to the end and says, and God, now I'm asking for a miracle when I go to the king. What do I love about that? I love that he says, not only am I pointing out what's wrong and not only am I praying about the whole thing, but God, I want you to know I'm the man who's going in. And, and that's the kind of spirit. That's the kind of untamed. It's easy to critique what's wrong, isn't it? And I can critique what's wrong. But the power is in taking it to prayer and going, while I'm in the middle of prayer, going, God, we, you know, I don't know, wonder what it is for you. And going, God, we definitely need to see more people loving more people. Whatever it is. And we take that to prayer in God, not to Twitter. And then we, at the end of that prayer, and say, God, and I just, I'm putting my hand up. Here I come. I had someone telling me yesterday, um, eh, you know, about um, how the church doesn't care for people very well. And it was interesting because today I'm standing a platform a little bit like this after the service in Armidale and a man who's got um, something called Gillian's disease comes up to me afterwards and I sent him a text about three weeks ago. I said, hey, um, Dave, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And he came up and he said, Darren, thanks for praying. I couldn't believe I got a text and thanks. And he said, with tears in his eyes, he said, I, I just cannot believe the response of the local church to me. He said, I'm just in awe of how they've responded. I thought, ah, there are some people that are praying and there are some people like to buy it and there are others that are doing, you know. And, and so we just want to be those kind of people, praying, untamed people who thrive in the jungle, number one. Number two, number two is simply this. It says in verse 6, Nehemiah, for the people worked with all their heart. I love that. The end of the day, to see anything go on, a move of God, requires people who would work with all their heart. And I'm thankful for people who do. You know, Brody led worship here this afternoon. And uh, can you believe the amount of giftedness and talent and potential in people? I was literally sitting in my seat going, oh my gosh, God, what's possible? Tandy was here and worshipping away and I was singing about all that's in her and Sarah was here and she's playing away and similar talent skills and she was into it I'm like what incredible potential still rests within her already gifted already expressive but so much more than has reached the surface yet so much more yet to go in and then I, I thought of Broads Broads and I had lunch today on the way back from Armidale now I arrived at Armidale and there's Broads leading worship it's not that long ago that I remember Broads being too almost too timid to sing loudly in his beautiful voice. If I had a voice like that, I'd sing loudly all of the time. And, but there he was. And he just stands up in front of a team and away he leads them. He led the church brilliantly this morning. And then he's back here at 4 p.m. and he's leading you and I brilliantly. No, none of us had any idea that he's probably tired from the whole day, but it's an untamed faith. And sometimes you just got to go, you know, what's the work God's called me to and do the work? And, and an untamed life that thrives in the jungle will have its blood, sweat and tears. And, and so the moment that blood, sweat and tears are beyond me in terms of my faith and life, I've just contracted myself into the place of the tamed. Because at some point, in some way, at some level, the untamed life will encounter blood, sweat and tears for the people worked with all of their heart. The untamed live with the blood, sweat and tears that the tamed won't, I've put simply. So let's be those kinds of people. Number three, 
Number three, untamed people overcome the doubters and the doubt. In Nehemiah chapter 4, let me just highlight some of it for you. Right in the middle of the jungle chaos, it says that Samballot was greatly irritated, that he mocked. He spoke and said, what are these feeble Jews? What will they do? Can they finish it? Tobiah, the bully, kicks in. Even what they were building, it's going to break. We reach down. It says the work's progressing, so they all conspired together against them. We go a bit further. It says Judah, meant to be the good guys, point out that the strength of everybody's failing, the rubble's too much and they can't get the job done. And then their adversaries try one more time and say, hey, we're not going to stop until we stop the work and we want you to know that and uh, we also want you to know that from every place you can possibly think of, it says, your enemies are going to come and overwhelm you. And so within them, they were looking at the rubble going, man, this rubble's too much. And they were saying within that we're just way too tired for this. And then all around them were the different voices speaking up. And, and it's the truth, isn't it? So if I'm going to live an untamed life and faith, thriving in the jungle, there are going to be time when the doubters come against us. You know, when Brian and I were moving here, I don't want to be disrespectful, my pastor said a couple of things to me. Number one, he said, go there, put your head down, that church is dead and it won't live. He said, and then when your time's up, get out of there and take a church on if you can. He also said probably didn't have a calling to even lead a church. The doubters, and that's all right. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying there are going to be doubters. That's life. It's what we do with the doubters that determines whether we step back and be tamed or we step up and we thrive. There are going to be doubters around you. There's going to be doubters around our church. But God speaks differently. And there are going to be doubts within. Do you ever have doubts? I can remember being right at this spot, right here. The year 2013, on my knees, after Bron dropped me off, so confused, so uncertain about whether I could lead the church in the next season. So unsure, which was unusual. And I just had to get before God right here. Something went on. Something supernatural took place. God shifted something in me. And I, but still, still had to get up, kill the doubts every day, week on week, month on month. I don't know for how long. And, you know, that's the same for you. And so that goes on here. And they're talking and saying, hey, it's not going to work and we're all worn out and everything else. But here's what Nehemiah does. Here's how we overcome as I try and wrap this today. Here's how we overcome the doubters. Listen to what Nehemiah does. It's so simple. Nehemiah gets there. I'll read it from here. And so all this has gone on and then Nehemiah says, after I looked around... I stood up and said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people. So he looks around. He sees everything else that everybody else sees. But this is his response. All the voices, all the doubters, all the doubts, all the rubble, all the weariness, complaints on his team, enemies on the other side. He says, hey, stop being terrified of them. Remember instead that the Lord is great and awesome. So fight for each other. Fight for your sons. 
Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Full stop. And if I'm going to thrive in the jungle, I just have a few thoughts for you here. Three quick ones. Number one, just got to lift our eyes off whatever the rubble is. There's always rubble. If I look around here, if I look in my marriage, there's rubble somewhere. If I'm in doubt, I can ask Bron. You know, around here there's rubble. And I've just got to lift my eyes off the rubble, off the rubbish, off the stuff. Just lift my sights. I wonder what are you focused on right now? Because the rubble is taking us somewhere. You know, our life will go where our heart is. Whatever the, whatever the dominant thoughts in our heart and mind are, our life is trending in that direction. It is. Think about it. If it's not yet, it will be soon. Whatever the dominant thoughts in my heart, that's what's going on here. The dominant thoughts in their heart had a whole bunch of people going this way, going, yeah, you're right. We're going to get attacked. This isn't going to work. It didn't work for 100 years. Man, there's rubble everywhere. It's chaos. And man, I'm feeling really tired right now. And their, their life is starting to follow the thoughts that dominate their mind. And Nehemiah, said, Nehemiah understanding this says, hey, guys, all of that's true. But remember, lift your sights a bit. Get your eyes off the rubble. Remember why you're here. Remember you're here to build a wall for your families. Remember that you're here to build a wall for your wives and your kids, your sons and your daughters, the future, your brothers either side of you. Remember that's why you're here. And he just starts to pull them back from that and go, hang on, we need to focus over here. And that's what people who thrive in the jungle do. They pull it back from what and they focus again on why. Right? They do. That's, that's how it works. And whenever you see, whenever you, if you think about what you're going, what's going on, if you're focused on what, the chaos, the trouble, the what, the stuff, just pull yourself back, remember? Pull ourselves back and do what Nehemiah did and point ourselves to why. And that changes everything right there, right then. And then there's the other thing he says, remember God. Remember God. Isn't it true? To, just to remember God, isn't it true? In your life and mine. As soon as I factor God in, everything shifts. The moment I do, my financial position, our church, my family, my kids, as soon as I factor God in. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.